Hello. Now, if you want to find out what's happening in the world of Bitcoin SV, there's no better way than through CoinGeek's conferences. And the next one is coming up very soon in New York. So I'm delighted that its host and organizer, who's also the founding president of the Bitcoin Association, has made time to appear on the show. So thank you so much, Jimmy Wynn. Thanks. Always a pleasure to talk to you, to you Charles, because you always sound like the smartest person in every BSV room. <laughs> I think that may be a, an American reaction to an English accent. <laughs> That's correct. As an American, I think anyone with a British accent is smarter than us. Well, I'll, I'll take the compliment anyway. Thanks. <laughs> You're listening to CoinGeek Conversations with Charles Miller. So, Jimmy, let, let me ask you a little bit about the conference. There's almost 100 speakers, I think, and a lot of them in New York. I mean, how is it to organize a conference um, of that complexity, particularly in, in the time of COVID? It must be pretty horrendous. <laughs> Painful is a good word, <laughs> um, exciting yet painful um, because of COVID challenges with travel, you know, not knowing what speakers can actually come to New York from what countries. Uh, and then we have the added layer that um, got introduced by New York just a few weeks ago, which is a proof of at least one COVID vaccine jab to enter indoor venues, which had not been announced when we first started planning the conference. That added another layer of complexity. So uh, it is definitely a challenge in COVID times to plan any event, but when you're trying to have an event that is both in person as well as a remote broadcast quality show for both virtual speakers and attendees, it's it, it just many added layers of complexity because you know things you normally take for granted, which is knowing who can show up or not and who can travel or not or when they can travel um, or whether they, you know, you know, what they can do or not. It's just, it's, it's complicated. So it's been a little painful, I must admit, but we're almost there. We're at the finish line. Our agenda and speaker slate is about to get locked down in the next day or two. And uh, once that's done, I'm excited to get to the final stages of producing a fantastic conference and show. It's really a show. It's become, as you've seen, a uh, broadcast quality show for the world. Absolutely. Well, I'm wondering, actually, are there some um, benefits that have come out of the, the restrictions that we've had to put up with with COVID? Because now it is available to everybody online. Um, you've got very uh, professional about being able to incorporate people wherever they are in the world. And there's a sort of a globalization that's happened, perhaps, as a, as a consequence of those uh, those restrictions. Well, you're a glass half full kind of guy, Charles, because yes, that is the silver lining to this cloud of COVID, which is um, the first of these events we did after the COVID world lockdown was CoinGeek Live in October of 2020. And we converted to a broadcast style conference. In the past, we have, you know, in-person big events like CoinGeek London in February 2020, and we would put a camera at the back of the room and live stream it. But that doesn't produce anywhere near the quality of a uh, on-stream, on, online streaming experience that we've now been able to accomplish with CoinGeek Live and then CoinGeek Zurich, where we really produce a digital studio. We, we you know build a digital studio in our venues. Um, it's like going on a TV set. Um, right. And now we're bringing a live audience in, in into New York, but the uh, level of production complexity that adds 
uh, is immense um, because we have a broadcast truck outside as we did in Zurich. We bring in broadcast directors. Uh, I've got people like I have in my earpieces now talking to me on stage, you know, the entire time. It's really like turning into a live broadcast show. Um, someone I think compared it on Twitter last time to Eurovision, not quite Eurovision, <laughs> but in any event. So it, from that perspective, it has allowed the online experience for all the remote attendees to be really impressive beyond what you would see. It's not a Zoom conference, not that there's anything wrong with the virtual Zoom conferences we've had to live with during COVID. Well, now you used to be an entertainment lawyer. Yes, um, I, I have a feeling that you're stepping uh, out of the legal framework actually onto yeah. the stage with, with yeah. not, not much reluctance, actually. Nobody's had to push you into, into the spotlight for these events, really. Well, it is, you know, one of my talents in life, uh, public speaking, and I did uh, definitely participate in a lot of entertainment media events, uh, conferences during my you know, prior life. So uh, I've got a good handle on all of the elements that need to go into this both on stage and off stage. There's a lot of work off stage. And while I am very much, you know, on stage and uh, participating in front of the camera during these three days of the conference, I need to give a huge shout out to the event and production team that works tirelessly behind the scenes with me, like Anna Colley, Juan Labrie, and the team at uh, Lightning Sharks. They Wow, I cannot tell you the amount of work that it takes to get this thing done. And they do it all and people don't see them. Uh, and you need to know how much uh, of so many other people's time, hours, uh, blood, sweat and tears goes into making this come off seamlessly. I mean, I can absolutely verify that because I was uh, lucky enough to be uh, over in the Zurich for the for the conference in June. And I mean, it's a as you say, it's an incredibly complex show. But on top of that, it changed every single day, basically, as to what was going to be possible and not possible. So, I mean, you, yeah, you really have to hand it to those people behind the scenes who, who make it all happen. I absolutely agree. Um, but but let's, let's look at New York. Um, it's only four months since Zurich. Is there enough to talk about that's new in the world of Bitcoin SV? Yes. And it is. It was definitely extra tight to plan this within only four months after CoinGeek Zurich. But absolutely, in fact, there were a number of projects and announcements that were hoping to be ready in time for CoinGeek Zurich, but they felt they and their companies or projects needed a little bit more time. And so a lot of them are emerging for the first time uh, in uh, New York. Um, you're going to hear, without giving anything away, some exciting announcements about BSV use in the online game and esports space. Um, announcements about NFT. Um, you're going to hear about uh, a whole variety of, you know, the emergence of the first stablecoin on BSV. It was sort of previewed at the last conference, but you'll hear more about uh, that. Uh, a new use of tokens um, that was announced in a press release um, just a couple of days ago by uh, Tokenize with a company called Quantium, which will be talking about creating um, financial uh, instrument tokens on Bitcoin SV. And so you'll hear from the founder of that company more detail about that and um, the launch of Blaircast, which has been sort of teased for a while, which is a music platform on BSV. I'm really excited for that presentation. So in short, yes, there's plenty of new to talk about, even though it's only been four months. And we've got some exciting announcements coming out of the Middle East, which is a uh, you know key geographic target of expansion for us, as people have seen over the past year. So more than you might expect there will be right. new to discuss and learn about at uh, CoinGeek New York. You pull it all together with a theme each time. And yes. uh, your sort of theme or slogan this time is, it's about time. Just, yes. just 
tell me the thinking behind that. Are we? Because uh, uh, to me, um, that makes Craig Wright the Time Lord for Doctor Who fans. <laughs> um, well, you know, the themes come to me randomly. Sometimes, you know, sometimes they're easier to come by than others. This one is something I've been saving and thinking about for quite some time, no pun intended. <laughs> right. And uh, I actually, uh, you know, threw it out to our event producing team the night after Coin Geek Zurich was over. Right. We were all exhausted in the hotel, you know, just sort of having some wine, you know, sort of celebrating together. <laughs> I said, I already have in mind the theme. I said, I don't want to throw this at you too quickly, but I already have it. Yeah. It's a little abstract. I, I tried to warn because our other themes have been a little more obvious how they relate to Bitcoin and BSV. So I said, this one's a little more abstract, but has multiple meanings. What do you think? I said, it's about time. And they instantly everyone said, oh my God, I love it. And so it means several things. How I first thought about it, and as we'll talk about at the conference, including Craig, as well as myself, is so many of Bitcoin's system elements are about time. The mm. white paper did not call it a blockchain. It described a distributed timestamp server. So much about Bitcoin's ability to create a ledger of honesty is about time because you need a chronological order of transactions and events to be able to determine if someone, for example, has changed something to detect, uh, you know, uh, someone trying to commit fraud or to cheat the system or a double spend, right? Double spends are about spending something that's already been spent before. So having a chronology of time in a distributed record keeping system is very important to Bitcoin system. You know, Satoshi also wrote in notes uh, with the original source code for the Bitcoin client software a reference to a time chain. So again, it wasn't a blockchain mm -hmm. at first. It was a distributed timestamp server, and then a time chain, and eventually the world settled on this term blockchain. But given where we are in Bitcoin's history, the, the other point I just wanted to make is that the meaning has other content connotations as well. For me, it's about time for Bitcoin to be useful and not to be just treated as a speculative investment asset or a store of value. It should be used by everyone around the world. It's about time for the um, blockchain ecosystem to be more legally compliant. It's about time for real global adoption, right? It's about time for Bitcoin's power, as we know, that was limited by the scaling wars to finally really be unleashed, which is our whole mission with Bitcoin SV. So there's so much about the this moment in time, I'm going to have yeah. my Whitney Houston moment in a second, um, <laughs> as well as the time design elements of yeah. Bitcoin that resonated with me. And I felt it made a really powerful theme. And we ended up in Times Square. Oh, right. Yeah, that's brilliant. We're going to be in <laughs> Times Square. I'm, I'm also thinking that from a sort of philosophical point of view, time is an incredibly important resource that we have no actual control over, but Bitcoin makes use of in, in its mechanism. And, and there's something sort of almost mystical about the relationship between time and money that Bitcoin has managed to kind of embody somehow. I think so, because Bitcoin is creating a system to transfer uh, and transmit data that has monetary value. And how do you quantify that? Part of it is time and time value. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, you're giving me goosebumps, you know, Charles. <laughs> and I've been, you know, preparing my opening presentation, which, you know, I always have a bit of dramatic flair at the end of, and really thinking about the meaning of time mm. in all of our lives as humans. Um, and also, frankly, the time that's been lost Bitcoin. You see that from BSV supporters right. when they tweet, you know, on Twitter, you'll talk about how much time has been lost. Like over 10 years of Bitcoin's growth has yes. probably been stunted because Bitcoin was not allowed to scale. So it's about time to finally see Bitcoin 
emerge to its full potential. Well, okay, let's let's broaden it out a bit because I'm going to show you the cover of The Economist from this week. Down the rabbit hole, it's a rather nice sort of Alice in Wonderland picture that they've got, and it's the promise and perils of decentralized finance. Now, it's about DeFi. I know that you know we're not interested in DeFi in the world of BSV, but it's a kind of broad analysis of the whole industry that has grown up around starting with Bitcoin, but going off in all sorts of directions, Ethereum, uh, CBDCs, and so on. And I wanted to ask you, this industry is now a massive industry in terms of the, the financial value. Is it still, and will it always have to be, the position of supporters of BSV that all of that is sort of nonsense? And if only people could just settle on BSV, the whole of that industry worth trillions of dollars can just sort of collapse and, and, and disappear. Well, first of all, I think contrary to popular opinion, neither I nor Craig Rive nor Calvin or anyone can tell BSV supporters what to believe or think or not. No, I'm um, just saying, what's your right. attitude to all this? <laughs> sure. My attitude about it is similar to what you know Craig talks about, which is there's this misconception that Bitcoin was created to undo the traditional banking finance system to undo government control over money. I don't think that was true at all. Um, if you read the Bitcoin white paper, it's very clear it was designed for one simple reason as that first use case, which is to make a more efficient way to send electronic cash over the internet, including not just for big payments, for small casual transactions, a phrase in the white paper people forget about. Uh, it was solving a problem about the internet, which is the internet had a very powerful uh, protocol and system to transmit data so that we could send emails to each other, provide data to the websites, social media apps, but it didn't have a native way to send money. And therefore, you know, businesses and humans had to layer on top of it these additional payment uh, layers such as payment processors, credit cards, PayPal, Venmo, and those all added extra layers of inefficiency. So that's what it was created to do. There's nothing in the Bitcoin white paper that describes the desire to overthrow governments or to remove the need for banks. It did, well, did say that we want to remove the need for intermediaries um, to create efficiencies. But and just, so, yeah. just to say one thing, when when something gets on the uh, on the front page of the Economist. It's no longer an anti-establishment right. uh, sector. This is this is not trying to get rid of banks. This is banks trying to use this um, to yeah. create new uh, streams of profit for themselves. So I, I'm not. I don't really buy this idea that this is all kind of just anarchy that's got out of control. It's it's now become almost an alternative financial yeah. system. As well, it should. And, you know, it's something I've said in speeches in the past. I've even written an article about this, how banks should use, leverage the power of Bitcoin and blockchain technology. Rather than being afraid of it, mm. banks should not be the blockbuster video of their industry. They should be the Netflix of their industry and embrace the emergence of these new digital technologies, which may seem as if they're meant to undo your industry, but they're not. I think banks and traditional financial service providers have uh, roles they can play in the digital asset world. They can be providing you know, custody of assets. They can be providing um, products and services, including lending to their 
um, customers. I know the lending of crypto coins has been controversial recently with some, you know, U.S. Uh, and federal and state government, uh, both investigations and, and actions. But those are certainly services that banks can provide, and they can provide trading, they can provide bill pay and payment services through crypto if they want. Uh, they can provide micro loans, particularly in developing countries. There's many areas of uh, service and product which could uh, be used uh, with the digital asset space and banks and traditional finance together. Um, so I think it's great that The Economist is posing that question. And you're right, once that question starts getting posed, it takes the Bitcoin and digital asset world out of fringe into more legit legitimacy in the mainstream, which is where we'd like to get it as well. We, we're so different in the BSV world than the other crypto type sectors who I would say are a little bit more crypto hobbyists. They want to, you know, their vision is the use of crypto in for certain purposes, right? To for privacy coins or to be used for certain, I would say, gray market um, functions. Um, we want to see such mass adoption by businesses and billions of people around the world. The only way to get there is to make Bitcoin mainstream. By emphasizing micropayments, which obviously um BSV supporters uh, put forward as one of the superpowers of BSV. I, I sort of feel, yeah, we're in a slightly different world from these sort of Wall Street big funds, trillions right. of dollars. It's almost a different use, isn't it? I mean, are, mm -hmm. should we just look at all this stuff in The Economist and just say, well, fine, they can get on with that. We're in a different business, which is micropayments, uh, remaking the internet, data storage and transmission and, mm -hmm. and supply chains are we how different are we from those those things that the economist is writing about um they're different but not mutually exclusive i think that's a mistake i even see from bsb supporters i watch their comments you know online and on social media which is oh you know some of us the association and some of our allied partners are going after these bigger enterprise and big business uses we also, as you can see, support the consumer uh, applications on BSV. Calvin Air has invested in a number of them, some of them that are generating a lot of the transactions now, including with micropayments like hand cash or big data usage such as crypto fights. So they're not mutually exclusive. So you're right. Micropayments are a very, very key superpower of BSV. We love the applications that are taking advantage of micropayments, um, such as Handcash, Pew Pew, what Haste Arcade is going to be doing and talking about further at uh, CoinGeek New York with its instant leaderboard payout concept, sending micropayments to, to people, um, Peer Game, for example. That I absolutely love that. I think it is an easy to understand uh, use uh, of how uh, Bitcoin can reinvent the internet, just like the white paper talked about, small casual transactions. You could change internet business models from having to depend on selling user information, right, user data, so that they can give you a free service to having services on the internet where you might have to pay a little something for the service, but you can actually make money back. Right. Right. That, I think that's fascinating. I like an example I like to give. I'd like to see a world where when I authorize an app to have my location data, they actually pay me something, mm -hmm. right? For every hour, for example, I authorize my location data. What if I got a few cents of BSV? It would definitely encourage more people to do so. And you would actually be exchanging value for your information in a way that's more relevant to the consumer. So I love that. But I also believe that BSV, because of its massive scale, and data powers that go beyond just the micropayments can be useful for the enterprise grade 
um, institutional financial services at a bigger value level. Those are not mutually exclusive concepts. And it is a challenge I will acknowledge in terms of the branding and um, efforts we take to grow BSV because we are capable of all of these things, yeah. right? Well, we've talked about the interest of Wall Street and its whole sort of crypto industry. Another kind of parallel world, um, if you're interested in Bitcoin SV, is Craig Wright and his many court cases. How much help will it be if uh, the courts affirm his claims? Is that going to push open the doors to big business for you, or do you see it as a bit of a distraction? I spend not much time thinking about it, honestly, in terms of its impact on BSD. I know people like to talk about all the court cases, and they draw a lot of headlines. Um, the way I see it. And the way I tell people all around the world when I meet them, whether they are a potential business user or government user of BSV or a potential institutional investor in our ecosystem, is that people should choose to support, build on, believe in BSV based on its technical functionality and superiority, not based upon whether or not they conclude or a court concludes Craig is Satoshi Nakamoto or not. I certainly believe he is Satoshi, as I've said in the past many times. But to be successful, we have to build a technology ecosystem that works at scale. Um, it, end of story, right? That's it. Uh, mm. if, if that doesn't work, then we're all wasting our time. We've, I think, established, particularly with the gigabyte and now regular two gigabyte size blocks that have been happening on BSV, that our technical path has been sound and we continue to prove that every day. So um, I know there are many people who want to see these uh, court cases reach a conclusion um, you know, one by one that bears out Craig Isatoshi Nakamoto. I think it's pretty evident from things such as the climbing case in which essentially both sides agree that Craig was involved in creating Bitcoin. It's just a question of, you know, uh, disputes over what does that mean in relation to uh, a particular uh, collaborator, Dave Kleinman. Um, as for the other court cases, you know, I, I have been not tracking them uh, closely lately just because I've been too busy on other things and they've been happening. Um, but I, beyond knowing that they happen, frankly, don't spend too much time worrying about them because I want people to believe in and build in, on BSV and support it because of the technical fundamentals. Well, let, let's just end by um, going back to the CoinGeek conference, prospects for New York coming up very soon. I think CoinGeek conferences are known for their professionalism. They're certainly known for the good food and the good time that people have. But how important do you see that as, uh, a, as a contribution to, to the reputation of Bitcoin SV in particular? Is, is this a sort of image building thing that is really worth it? Because one might say, well, let's just have people, entrepreneurs, build on Bitcoin SV and its reputation will naturally follow. But this is quite a, a deliberate thing, isn't it? It is. Um, and I would say both are important. Right. I, I don't think, again, I, I think uh, nothing is mutually exclusive. There are multiple ways to build uh, BSV's reputation. One, of course, is by having uh, excellent developers and entrepreneurs build excellent projects and applications. Um, the conferences are done specifically to help educate the world 
uh, about the power of BSV. We're in a bit of a media war, as you know. There are media forces that don't like BSV, that only want to publish negative things about us, that don't want to publish the positive things that we release, of which there are many. So uh, this is part of our counteracting strategy. And I think they are very important to raising the reputational visibility of BSV. We hear from people we invite from outside the BSV world, which we do as speakers, as you'll see. The speakers are not just BSV companies. They're people from digital asset businesses, other professional services, government. They consistently come to our conference in person or participate remotely and are blown away by the level of educational content, the quality of the speakers and the production. Um, we don't talk about price and trading of assets at this conference. We're focused on utility. I am told all the time how refreshing that is for people who are real business people. And so there is a reason there is such attention to detail and production quality. It's not just because we like it. We pride ourselves on being the most professional um, conference individual asset and blockchain space. And that's because we want to be known for BSV as the most professional blockchain, the most enterprise grade quality that can support not just consumer applications at massive scale, but big businesses and governments. Um, we walk the walk. We don't just say we're good. We try to demonstrate it in the work we do through the conference, as well as the quality of technical work that's delivered on the BSV blockchain. So um, it is a, I don't call it subtle because it's not subtle. It is a message we don't have to go out and say, we want people to just show up and see and feel and know. Absolutely. And one detail that I would highlight is the uh, brevity of the panels and the speeches, uh, which from somebody sitting at home is great because you get through a huge amount of material in a whole in a day and certainly a massive amount in in three days and i think everyone would thank you for making people hurry up and um, not just well yeah you know it's funny you say that because last night i had to email uh, a number of our solo speakers that i've given solo speaking slots to and say you know what i actually need to trim down your session because our agenda is getting too full it's a it's a very tight balance because we want to give people time to speak and get their thoughts across. It's, and it's about and time. I did it to New York. Yeah, it's about time. But on the other hand, the good news is for everyone to know there are so many great things that have grown and come new to the BSV space. We can't fit them all into, you know, three days plus all the other things we want to do. So it's a good problem to have. But yeah, I, mm. I have to be kind of the the, the time police. Um, and, you know, like, uh, I guess there's that new Loki show, right? <laughs> there's like even people trying to protect the timeline. So, you know, uh, I'll be backstage for all of you speakers who are joining us at CoinGeek right. New York. Yeah, time police. There'll be a there. gong or something. That, uh... <laughs> Not a gong, but there, there'll be there actually is a time countdown timer for the speaker. So as I know, I, I witnessed it last time. I experienced it. It's yes. very terrifying to sit there. I know. And You're see like, the timer. getting red, right? You're like, oh no, what do I do? I'm pressure. <laughs> well, look, for anyone watching who hasn't registered yet, uh, the conference starts on Tuesday, October the 5th for three days in New York. In New York in person, if you can make it to uh Times Square. 
if you can't make it to Times Square, it'll be available at uh, all good uh, internet outlets around the world. So, Jimmy, thank you so much and really good luck with the conference. And thanks well, for the thank time you, today. Charles. Thank you so much for this time. Yep. I hope we, uh, so many of you watching this um, either in person or online uh, for Coin Geek New York, because we're going to learn so much more about what's happening with BSV. It's about well, it time. sounds like there's a lot of really interesting stuff. So I'm sure lots of people will be tuning in now. So thank you so much, Jimmy.